Bienvenidex to Merendiando! This week, our guest is talented multidisciplinary artist and evolving spirit, Isi Bakomen. Isi Bakomen is a poet, playwright, photographer, filmmaker, and currently an acting student at the National Theatre School of Canada. Isi is an Afro-Latinx artist from Toronto, and in the city they presented and developed work at TIFF's Next Wave Festival, Tarragon's Young Playwrights Unit, and Soul Pepper's City Youth Academy, among lots of others. In this episode, we talk about the power of identity, their journey in theater and arts training, the influence of family and history on their art, and how Victoria Santa Cruz saved their life. It was such a good conversation that we didn't want to stop. So this episode is longer than our usual episodes, but also because this season is coming to an end, we said, let's keep it. Let's have this long conversation this time, but we'll come back with one last episode to say goodbye. Yeah, we're going to do a little wrap up. We're going to maybe hear from some Maluna staff. We're going to keep it a cool surprise for you. Uh, but for now, grab your snack. Grab your water, you know what to do, you know how this works. And let's dive into the episode. Hi, Isi. Hello. Welcome to Merendiando. Thank you for having me. Okay, this is a question that we usually kick things off with. Merendiando is like family snack time. So Isi, what has been your merienda or snack these days? Your go-to pandemic snack? My go-to pandemic snack right now is mm -hmm. actually grapefruits. Oh. Yeah, we were talking about grapefruits earlier, but um, yeah, I just eat it with the spoon. Just take the, the yummy, fleshy grapefruit and just eat it by itself. But the person I'd want to share it with would be my grandparents. Because they both passed away and I never got to talk to them. Um, I got to meet my grandfather, but he had Alzheimer's. So communicating with him was, you know, was difficult because when my Spanish wasn't very good um but yeah that, those are the people who I want to share my grapefruit with that's awesome. Mm. that's awesome I feel like fruit um there's this meme I saw that fruit is a love language in Latinx culture like fresh fruit oh really yeah things grow differently from the places that we come from they really do Okay, cool. So, Isi, you have said to us that you are a multidisciplinary artist, but you can't stick to one medium. And you don't know why, which is very interesting. So, which mediums are you using these days? Mm. Well, right now in isolation, I've been writing a lot and I've been sketching a lot in my sketchbook. So, a lot of visual and like inner thoughts. Yeah. Or ways of like expressing what I'm going through right now. Um, but like a big thing that I'm focusing on like broadly is acting because I'm in theater school right now. So trying to unpack that process for myself has been a really big thing for me. Um, but yeah, a lot of, a lot of writing mm. and drawing. But mm -hmm. I do photography as well. But I left my, my camera in Montreal so I can't take pictures, which has been really frustrating. And I'm going to be working on a film soon, later this, uh, next month, I'm going to start working it, on it July 4th um, with the Insomniac Film Festival, which is like a youth-led um, filmmaking program that started by just like a few teenagers coming together and wanting to create space for themselves to create films and not have like kind of, I don't want to say like a judgment from 
but sometimes like adults like kind of uh now that I'm an adult I'm 22 but like older people have like this idea of like young people don't really know what they're talking about yet their voices are so valid um so to be able to express yourself and explore your voice through film with people your own age I think is really valuable so yeah I've been like preparing for that as well so not just writing and drawing but also like um like preparing myself to work on a film and because we're in isolation and we can't be with each other physically so it'll be interesting to know how to direct people from a distance those are like a lot of the things that I'm playing with right now that was a question I had when you said like uh as an actor right now how do you manage to direct yourself in isolation or like do you get somebody else to direct yourself mm -hmm. yeah Yeah, because like, like a lot of my films, I'm like, I'm the actor and director in it. So like, it's a lot of like, okay, you do the scene and then you look at the camera and like, okay, I don't like how that went. I have to, like, I'm trying to explain your vision, but also also having to execute it is really hard. Mm -hmm. um, but something that I'm also playing with right now is getting feedback from other people because being so like in engulfed in everything, that you're trying to create, sometimes you need kind of a criticism or like, a, not criticism, but like just an outside eye. So when I was working on Black Girl in Search of God, yeah. um, like my friends from the Insomniac Film Festival and also from TIFF, as youth, their youth uh, group, they would like, I'd work on it, like a, I guess like a draft of my film. And then they would give me critiques on things that they think would help push the like, push my message further or make mm -hmm. it more clear. So I think when you are the actor, director, editor, like doing all the mm -hmm. things, it's important to have other people be a part of that process. Because the thing that I love about theater is how collaborative it is. That you're working with the sonographer, you're working with the production, you're working with the director. It's like all these elements coming together. Yeah, so. That's yeah. a huge thing for me when it comes to my acting process for film. Well, how did you get into film? Like what prompted you to start making movies? Back when I was younger and was interested in theater, um, like, because I went to Market Lane Public School, is near the distillery district, so close to, so Soul Pepper was really close. And they came to my school when I was in elementary school. And I met Paula Wing, who's like a longtime, like, friend that I, that I, like, I cherish her so much. If it wasn't for her, I would not be in theater at all. Um, but I think I didn't see acting or like theater as a as a profession. Like, so I went to university in, in 2016 to study English, but that also wasn't satisfying me. And I ended up actually getting kicked out of university because I was doing so badly. And I decided to, I think I went, I went to Peru And I remember picking up my camera and I started taking pictures of my family members. And that was like the first time I was like, oh, like I never see pictures of Afro-Peruvians. Mm -hmm. And like, I just like took that in. And, and, and so like a huge part of my photography is like documenting the people who like mean the world to me is my family or people who look like me or go Or, or like I just feel like we there's so many ways like we can connect as people but we we don't actually like acknowledge how diverse we are because I think as like growing up as an Afro-Peruvian like person 
and always having to explain that there are black people in Peru seems so odd to me when if we in like in history class actually learned that like okay, slavery just brought black people everywhere then it wouldn't be such a shock mm-hmm. um but also the fact that people don't feel the need to to document those individuals is um really disappointing but you know I was that's when I started like taking photography seriously so when I was realized that I want to like um show this part of the world to people I remember that I wanted to get into film before I got into photography, but then like access to film just wasn't as easy. Totally. But like you can take a picture with your cell phone was like back at them. And then I joined this photography program, You um, for Change in Regent Park, which is like giving like free um, art uh, programs for youth. They have like uh, their fashion one. They have like all these other ones photography one yeah my first film oh you know what this does connect because my first film that I did was on my cell phone and it was uh it was called like uh, Navidad which was uh Mm. Christmas that I spent in in Peru and it Mm -hmm. was just like it's like just it's like a I guess like a documentary kind of thing but not a documentary because I it it was just showing the show like what it what a depiction of a Afro-Peruvian family would spend Christmas Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah so that was my first film that I did but yeah it's kind of hard for me to think about how I got into things specifically because mm-hmm. then I, I think for like a big thing for me as an artist is kind of like sometimes you're like okay this makes sense as this medium like I have to like create it because that's what's accessible to me in that moment um mm. like the poem that I'm writing right now somewhere over the rainbow um, an opportunity came to me to uh, to produce something and I pitched to do this poem and now I'm going to be like producing it um, and like actually like record it and share it mm-hmm. with people and uh, I could have done any medium that I wanted to but I felt the need to like because I'm in such a writing mode right now that's the way I'm, I'm expressing how I'm feeling when I was filming my family for that for like my film Navidad it was just like, in the moment, I was witnessing such joy around me. I'm like, I have to capture this. What do I have in front of me is my, it's my phone. So I, I recorded everything hmm. and made a little short for it. Yeah, that's, that's, so, that's so beautiful how you say capture the moments. Because I, I was going to ask you that about how you decide either first comes the idea or first comes the medium but they, they seems like you have them really, really connected. Like they come even at the same time. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Cause I don't, I, yeah, it's not like a, a premeditated thing. It feels like, like I have like a, like a story in my head, like a lot with my plays that I write, it's like, I, I hold on to like the story, like the idea of the story in my head for a really long time. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden I start writing it, but I, like, I don't know, in the moment, I don't know if I'm actually thinking about whether or not it should be a play, but I feel like it can transform into anything that it needs to be, depending on like, okay, I really need to tell this story. So I don't have time to write a play or I don't maybe have access to a computer at that moment, but I may have my camera and I can, or I have a pencil and I can just write about it. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but, mm-hmm. Yeah. No, I just, I'm hearing that you're just an artist. You have just like a really strong artist spirit and you're like, how do I express this? That's basically what I see. I hope you don't judge yourself for being multidisciplinary. I don't know. Cause the little, 
the little note that you sent us was like, um, I don't know why, you know, but do you, is it something you're worried about or is it something that you embrace or yeah. Yeah. It is something that I, I, I've worried about, I think for at least the past couple of years, because the reason I think that I decided to audition for theater school to join a conservatory program is because I'm like, I need to be disciplined in mm. one thing and I have to be really good at it. And then once I'm really good at that, then I can start introducing the next thing. And then, but I think I've just come to realize that because I, I can't do that. Like, it's just, yeah. I have to do uh, not everything because I don't do everything at the same time. But uh, like a lot of my projects are ongoing or like I still, um, like they're still very important to me and I still need to, I think I think when I neglect those other parts of myself, it, it makes doing the one like the one thing acting really hard if I don't also uh -huh. take the time to meet with other people and collaborate on a movie or write a play because in my first year of theater school I made Black Girl in Search of God and, wow. and like while I was in school and everyone's like why are you doing this and it's like no I have to tell this story because I read Jeanette Sears Black Girl mm -hmm. in Search of God mm -hmm. and I was so moved by it and just the idea of like not having to find God within this image of a necessarily like this white man, but within yourself, within your community, that was a really profound message to me. And I wanted to capture that through film. And then I also wrote a play in first year with Tarragon's Young Playwrights Unit, Boom, which is the one about, um, especially in the times that we're living in today, like it's, it's a play that I haven't finished writing. I did my first draft and had a reading with it and everything. But, um, like, I have to go back and, and make revisions and, like, knowing that I was thinking about, like, how Black girls are treated in educational spaces and dealing with issues of police brutality and, like, I knew that it was a problem. Like, like I always knew that, but it's just interesting to see, like, how the world is shifting right now around that, those conversations where before it felt like, oh, no one's really paying attention to it except for my community and like no one's trying to help us. So what are ways that I can find solutions, you know, through my art by yeah. expressing like stories that, you know, amplify those voices. But yeah. not also, I don't want to trigger people also because um, like the background behind that story was when I was in, I went to an all girls Catholic high school mm. and the janitor actually attempted to blow up the school this is why it's called boom so I, wanted the, I originally i wanted the play to just be about like why did he do it like like to be kind of like a mystery thing but then as i was writing i realized that the story actually was more in the story behind the, like the girls the main character she you know is homeless and like it kind of centers around her but a lot of like who she is is rooted in my mother which i did not like expect but I think that's like the magic thing about writing. Like it just kind of reveals so many things and you don't know until after you've written it. Mm -hmm. So you've been in, in different uh, like youth led programs through the city. Is there any like youth led programs that if anybody listens to it, you're like, I recommend young artists, like you should apply to this. Programs that I would really recommend for youth is City Youth Academy um, with Soul Pepper. Uh, because it was like the first time where I was introduced to just 
like even though you're studying like you're into interested in acting like you don't have to go to that program for acting you could be like you're just interested you're interested in directing you're interested in um scenography like any different elements of theater um and you work together to put on a show at the end so i think it's just like giving you all these tools in order to put on a show together and it's coming from your voice and it feels like and it's a very safe space um and yeah it's led by uh jennifer villavarde he used and they usually hire um someone who's also a youth in in theater so if you don't feel comfortable you know talking to an adult about like if you're having issues or you know you have questions about entering this this field you can talk to the younger person who's closer to your age um and that was really helpful for me um that space and i think gave me the confidence to apply for a theater school because i didn't have much experience um outside of of that or like i used a lot of playwriting not a lot of acting yeah uh another program I would I I wasn't a part of it because I was too old but I think Tip Next Wave is a really good one yeah. um because they give teenagers the opportunity to really like dive into film like internationally because I think a lot of what we consume comes from the United States when like there's you know young people all over the world creating content that is like really pushing narratives that I think we need to amplify and um i've collaborated with them for my my short film so i have like experience working with them and they do really cool programming that i've been able to attend as well just as a youth person so cuz they curate their own film festivals so it's not like tiff tiff where it's like <laughs> all the big names and celebrities but like tiff like the youth one and it's even though it's smaller it's i think equally as powerful yeah, yeah. No, totally. Like I'm hearing a lot that youth-led things is like something that really resonates with you or something that means a lot to you. And when I think of like you like you know young people coming together and making art, it's like a different power dynamic like you said than someone just telling you what to do and going here and there. I would agree 100%. And I think it's really important like um like the difference between the youth academy in, in tip next wave is like you're like in charge of creating the space in tip next wave and then in like the city youth academy you're the one like taking in all the things that were curated for you mm. um yeah so i think having those two different spaces are really important for young people um and another one i would recommend is the ago youth council and that's another one where it's like it's youth led like they're curating all the um activities that are being held there, but you can just attend one of their programming and learn how to like do something or um get a background on on how to identify secondhand clothing that's like actually from the far away past not like oh it's from the 90s like that's vintage <laughs> vintage <but> that's vintage <laughs> so yeah um yeah there's a lot of things especially in Toronto like we're really lucky for the amount of access that we have here um for young people but it's also really hard to like know about it i've noticed because yeah. when i was in high school i didn't know any of, it, of these things existed until like i graduated and was seeking out things for myself and you grew up in toronto is that right like yeah i grew downtown? up in toronto amazing okay and now you moved to montreal because you are studying in the acting stream of national theater school yes right? yeah yes. so 
like how has your experience been so far you're entering your last year right in the fall yes <laughs> as a person who's not from toronto or canada i is like so the national theater school of canada is like the like wow like it's it's like the big school right like Yeah, like a yeah. lot of people like to say, oh, it's the Juilliard of Canada. Ah, <laughs> oh, yes, I heard that <laughs> from Camila. Like, uh, yeah, and it's funny, my teacher the, uh, this year, she was like, no, Juilliard is the NTS of the States. Okay. <laughs> oh, my God. Like, I'm like, no one really says that. But that's, that's a, like, I think Canadians, we don't, like, see ourselves as, like, the, you know, like, the pinnacle or, like, yeah. the... Yeah, it's like we're always like comparing ourselves to, you know, what's happening in the States when we need to like kind of own our own voice. Yes. So, yeah. 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 Okay. So how, how do you feel going into your last year? How are you approaching it? Uh, I'm approaching it. I think I was like, I'm very excited to, to enter my final year. All the conversations happening in theater right now, like, uh a huge part for me was even though I'm just like I'm a, it's hard because you're like I'm I'm just a student like I don't have any power I'm just there to study acting and get my certificate and then go NTS is a space that I feel like really encouraging diversity but I think like we're, what we're witnessing right now is that a lot of theater institutions like they don't really know how to Like, especially in the schools, because that's where you're building people to become professionals. Because a lot of us are going in with not that much experience or maybe even knowledge. Like, uh, you guys read my my blog post that your, I... Your Twitter, like... Um, yeah, the Twitter one. Yeah, yeah. And a big thing for me was, like, when Robert Lepage came to our school, a lot of students, especially the students of color, didn't know who he was or didn't know like the background that um that happened like the summer before um he came to our school where like a lot of people were talking about how he appropriated black and indigenous voices and he didn't uh like he's never apologized for the things that he's done through his art or taken accountability for like how damaging mm -hmm. his um the content that he's tried to like or he has put out into the world Uh, and so a lot of students like spoke up about that and asked for the the educators to like disinvite him because mm -hmm. he wasn't getting paid um he was just coming like as kind of a favor to one of those people who were in power at the time or mm -hmm. who are still oh god who are still at the power <laughs> oh my god i feel like uh, it's a sensitive thing yeah of course it is sensitive Yeah, so the, the there was an emphasis of, like, we need to have these conversations. And, yeah, we do need to have these conversations. But if you're having a conversation with someone who doesn't believe that slavery ever happened in Canada, it, it was just like you're just, like, talking to someone who's not actually listening to you. Yeah. So it's like you're not really having a conversation because no one's willing to, like, be enlightened by what the other person's saying or actually taking it in. Mm -hmm. So it felt like it was more important to bring this guy who's just so famous internationally. And because in Canada, it's such a big thing when someone from Canada is big outside of Canada. Mm -hmm. So it's like, okay, like, we'll just excuse the fact that he's so problematic because 
we can have a little chat with him, but like he doesn't take accountability for all of his wrongdoing. So I'm just, as a black student, I'm sitting at the back of the room mm -hmm. watching my black and indigenous classmates go up to, you know, try to confront this man and like no one's doing anything. And then at the end, like teachers are congratulating these people of color for, for standing up to him. But it's like, we, we have him because you brought him here yeah why did you mm -hmm. put us in that position in the first place exactly <laughs> yeah so and also it's like uh like uh why didn't one of the teachers go up to speak to him like why are the students put in the position to confront him when like it's just like it just feels like we're not at the professional level yet right so mm -hmm. maybe some of us are because you know you can come to nts at any age it's not really an age limit mm -hmm. but it just seems very odd to me that like I still haven't received an apology from my administration for that like from my school like I was really devastated by it and I know a lot of students were and mm -hmm. no one is was willing to say that that was something like kind of messed up for us to do mm -hmm. and like there's it's just like theater school in general is really hard because you are opening parts of yourself that you like even just dealing with your voice. Mm -hmm. it, oh, it's so it, emotional. It's so emotional. Yeah. And sometimes you're like, you're bringing up like ancestral, like mm -hmm. trauma, intergenerational traumas coming out from just like exploring a character who's a slave, right? Mm -hmm. and, to, and then you're in the room, maybe having a panic attack or like you really want to leave the space. You can't be in this like working through this and they're like no you like stay in the room you have the tools breathe through it breathe through it breathe through it but you're like I have to stop because this is actually damaging to me and you don't understand because you don't have my experience yeah um so there's like there's there's those situations of like not knowing how to navigate that or yeah. just even the simple microaggression of like I want to wear my do-rag in class and then your teacher tells you to take it off because it's going to affect your voice, but it's on your head. So it, and, and that, but, you know, and then having to kind of like argue about it. And then finally the teacher being like, okay. And then like, I'm not like, like, I understand that we're all learning. Mm -hmm. I'm not trying to say like, oh, like they, they, they shouldn't have done that or whatever. Like, you know, that it, it's, it's new. You've never seen a, a student come in with a do-rag before because you've mm -hmm. haven't had that many black students come to this school. Mm -hmm. you know or not all black students wear do-rags so yeah yeah yeah. so it but it, it just seems like instead of trying to be more understanding and open it was immediately like trying to shut down mm -hmm. and yeah and I just think uh there needs these like theater institutions need to bring in outside help like people who who are ex because like just hiring someone who's of color to come in to chat about it like I, I don't think that's enough I think you need to like actually pay someone to talk with the students talk with the teachers and and understand the system of how the school works and then implement uh actual solutions that can actually create change mm -hmm. in uh -huh. the space so that it can feel more safe and we can be more open and we can explore all these parts of ourselves but um with that blog post that I made it was like Angelique is this like she's a, like a big like a line that I really love from that thing that I wrote was 
um, like the struggle wasn't playing a slave. The, like the struggle comes from playing a three-dimensional character who just happens to be a slave. Yes. Because the many times that I've played a slave before, they haven't been three-dimensional. So I didn't actually have to dig deep into what that character was going through because the, the writer didn't. So it was just like, oh, I'm just a slave, you know. I'm in the background. No one's really paying attention to me. And now I'm the lead. I'm the lead of the story. And I'm being raped. I'm being whipped. Um, I lose my, I, I lose my, my, my babies. Uh, you know, and in the end, I, so I'm, I'm basically, I'm like, I'm, I'm lynched and burned to death. Like, so it's hard navigating that just as a black person trying to figure out how do I deal? How do I, how do, how do I give this justice without hurting myself? Yeah. It's just, it's, and then you have your other classmates who are white, who will have to do all these things to you. And they're also going through this white guilt and not understanding how to, how do I, I like, I can't, I can't say the N word. I don't want to say the N word, but it's like, you have to, because that's the story. That's the truth. You know, you have to whip me because that's the truth. You have to, you know, rape me because that, but the thing is, you're not doing it for real. You're acting. But the story that we're telling is very real. So it's, it's just, it was very hard. Like that space was, it was very hard to do that play. Yeah, and, you know, this was first year, you know, and I'm going into my third year now. Oh my <laughs> I can't even believe that was like, so oh. let's start small. Here's this role for you. That's, that's a huge also, undertaking. Something that you just said stuck with me that when, if your teachers came up to you and be like, you have the tools, like breathe and blah, blah, blah. That shouldn't be the thing. Shouldn't we all have the tools and like, it shouldn't be on the person that's having the panic attack to resolve it for themselves. Like yeah. that, that was like. It's a, it's a, it's a hard thing because I think when like, because like breath is like, is like a tool that they do give you. Like if like, cause mm -hmm. if you breathe through it, you'll like, you'll bring oxygen in and it'll help you like stabilize. But I think when it's not just that it's a, um, oh, this is tough. This is tough. It's like, oh my God, this is actually paralyzing. Sometimes breathing is just not enough. And I, maybe I actually have to stop and just take a moment. Um, And maybe even we have to take a moment as a class to just sit down and have a talk about what I just went through. But there's a huge thing I feel like when you're in a conservatory program, it's very much like individual. They don't want to mm -hmm. bring in the collective voice together. They don't want to, because even though we're like, we're a community, it's very much like, no, you're all on your, your own paths. You're all figuring out your own artistic process. We can't really bring in your trauma into the room. Like, like, that's like the, the, the conversation. And it's like, I don't want to, you know, interrupt other people's process, but I think me having a panic tech in the space is probably more distracting than for me to leave the room and just take time for myself. And then maybe we could have a quick chat about it as a class of what it was to be a slave. Because the thing for me is when my mother came to this country, she was sold to a family in Brampton to work on a farm. So this is not like I'm looking at my ancestors a long, long, long time ago. It's literally like I'm thinking about this character is literally went through like went through something my own mother, the woman who gave birth to me, went through. It's not like some imaginary past that doesn't like that's so far. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. And so when you, and then you look today, like we're watching lynchings happen on, mm -hmm. on cameras, like 
I just, I felt like at the time, no one was acknowledging that we were living in a time of terror at that point. It was like, that was a far away thing. Yeah. You can separate. And I don't know, I feel like now in third year, I could handle that character a lot better than I could have in first year. Yeah. Um, but, uh, you know. Yeah. yeah, that's that's so interesting. And thank you so much for being so open and about this, Easy. It's, it's really, really interesting to talk about because I think sometimes my struggle with art is like some people think things are so like intellectual and cerebral and like have their time and space in this little box and they're going to give it like 20 minutes but another collaborator is like this is really important and huge and like it's not an, a, a fantasy it's not just interesting fascinating aesthetically pleasing it's like a really important thing for me to be able to make art you know and and like those two artists, it's hard to have a conversation to meet. And I, I feel like we're having um, a lot of conversations about leadership right now in the arts, in theater, and like what actually healthy leadership could look like for artists and not just one particular kind of artist in this scene right now. So I'm wondering, did you have um, access to teachers of color or mentors of color at the conservatory? Or black specifically? Um, I, 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 I did. Like the teacher who was teaching that, that Angelique, you know, he was a, a black man. And I have another teacher who was working on us like from first year all the way through third year on a, on our creation project is Adri uh, Zina Mandela, hmm. um, who's like, oh my gosh, like blows my uh, mind. Yeah, like, like a legend. A, <laughs> <laughs> um, so like I, I, we've had, but I just think the, the issue for a lot of like, I think my fellow classmates and I is like, there's no one who's like in a position of like power, like, like a lot of like invited artists, like they'll be with us for a couple of weeks and then they're gone. Yeah. Um, or we have like this one person who we can go to, but like, it's hard to like meet with this one person, you know, cause like, Cause maybe, maybe not all of us are comfortable with this one person or totally. it's just like, there's so many of us, how can we all access this one person, especially if they're a working artist and have their own things to deal with. So I think people uh, very much wanted someone um, uh, higher up to reflect kind of what we look like, because when you audition to national theater school, which is why I, I was so excited to go to this school was that it was how diverse was the, the like the people actually picking who was going to come into the school okay. like it's not like I went to Ryerson audition it was like like old white people um you mean like in the audition room on the panel that you exactly. performed for okay and not that being old and white is is a bad thing you know like uh, I don't wanna but it represents that. a certain kind of space you're going to go into exactly. <laughs> and level of safety maybe yeah. absolutely and I remember just being like okay well that's like I guess the space that I would be entering but at NTS there was, I remember there was a black woman, there was an indigenous man, there was, uh, like, even the people that I was auditioning with were very diverse, so I knew that this was a, a space focused on bringing those voices into, into the room. I just found out recently that, like, our head of music has changed to, like, it's going to be a black man for a year, which I'm really excited about, but it's just for a year, and... I think what's interesting about the conversations around leadership right now is like a lot of people are actually resigning their positions 
in hopes that like you'd bring a person of color to take on my position. Um, I'm not saying that like you have to resign, like, but uh, sometimes it's kind of like that's you know if you're seeing that you're the institution that you're working at isn't making those changes, maybe just you leaving gives space to other voices. Yeah. Um, but that doesn't, I'm not saying that you don't deserve to be in that position or you should give up your position. Just, you know, like I understand how hard of a decision that could be. And especially as artists, like to have a uh-huh. sustainable job to like work at a school, you know, you know, you're yeah. going to have that paycheck. It's really important. So, um, uh-huh. but I, I, I just, I, I think the, like one of the big problems that people had was that those who have the big titles, like the artistic director the ceo like those people don't look like you but then i am being introduced to people like audrey zina mandela right like i'm i'm it's not like it's never I'm, just one thing it's, it's never just one thing yeah yeah so it's it's a it's a funny space and even like what we're learning it's coming from a very eurocentric space so yeah. it's like we're doing ballroom which is wonderful right but like maybe can we like do some African dance, you know, like, can we bring in maybe artists to teach us different ways of practice? When I think of DB Young and Auntie Africa, like this is someone who's an educator and, uh, you know, very anti-colonial creates like a very safe space really gives, you know, young people the, you know, this is a really space of like inclusion, but also healing. Mm-hmm. And implementing that in, in the practice and showing maybe people of color, this is another pathway to, you know, tackling being a professional in the world. It doesn't have to be this, you know, Shakespeare checkoff, very, you know, yeah. yeah, it can be anything you want it to be. And, but also I think maybe people like that may not want to enter, enter NTS's institutional space. So I can't expect those people to want to, you know, come yeah. either. So it's a weird thing where you kind of have to be like, sometimes the good outweighs the bad in a way of like, I, like I know what I'm consuming. And so I have to be ready. Like when I leave, then I can explore all sorts of avenue and take totally. the pieces that I want, you know, yeah. with me. And what I don't want to keep with me, I can just let go. Uh, so yeah, that's been really interesting. And as a student, like it's, I feel like it's my responsibility as a black person to give tools for the next generation of, of students coming in, especially mm-hmm. if I don't see more systemic changes happening. I have to, like, what little can I give um, to support those people um, when they're coming in? Because, you know, a Black caucus was created at my school. The fact that we can create a Black caucus, that there's enough students to do that, um, means that we can have our, like, space to, mm-hmm. make, you know, change for ourselves. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, it's, it's a hard thing. Yeah, it is. I'm sometimes thankful that I didn't go to theater school. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. Monica, you work in theater now, but you kind of created your own uh, like learning path through different programs, right? But my thing, I think it is, and and it's something that I see really similar within like how you were explaining your RAC, is for me, what I understood really early was like, I am a storyteller. Mediums might change. My point is to tell the story. But I do hear stories about people here that went to theater school. And I'm like, I'm so grateful that when I moved here, my theater journey was youth-led programs. Like a lot of youth-led programs, what, what was 
teach me to be where I am. Is it tricky? Yes, because a lot of people still in rooms are like, you didn't have the education or you don't have the connections or you don't have this. Do I care? No. So <laughs> I keep showing up. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, which is also tricky because like showing up and showing up and showing up, it's also a whole art itself. Yeah. To give up, like that's easy, but to continue to you know, show up, that's that's the, the hard thing. Um, Absolutely. And a, a youth-led program that you made me think of was the Paprika Festival. Because they yeah. actually provide mentorship and usually the people who, you know, who are the mentors, you know, they kind of reflect what Toronto, like the diversity actually looks like. And one of my mentors was Michelon Rodriguez. Mm -hmm, and then cool. after I, I finished that, that, that program, he gave me the opportunity to write a play with Factory Theater. And I got to meet Nina Lee Aquino and I wrote a whole play. And then I, like, I got to meet all these other artists but like, I was like 19, 20 years old, like had no experience, but I think that's really interesting when like, you don't have any background, but people are still, they understand the need for those people to be in the room and in the space and giving those space to those storytellers to enter the room, even if they're young, but also saying, Jesus, this is a, this is a young black person who has something to say. And I want to, you know, arm them with tools to be in this industry. So mm -hmm. And yeah. that's so important as I, like you mentioned mentors. Like I, I talk about that a lot with Beatriz Pisano. Because <laughs> for me, it was like one person that actually, I, that's I think sometimes the beauty and sadness of it is like, if you have one person who believes in you, it's such a blessing, but it's also, it shouldn't be one person. <laughs> so it's this thing of like, uh, but I want to, I want to talk, because I want to talk about this person. So you mentioned Victoria Santa Cruz, save your life. Oh my God. Yes. Yeah. Thank, thank you for bringing Victoria Santa Cruz to our life because after you mentioned it, we research. Easy. how did Victoria Santa Cruz save your life? Uh, well, for me, when I was really young, uh, like in the third grade, this is really sad, but like I would say things to my mom a lot of like, um, I want to die. Like, I don't want to live anymore. And I didn't understand why I was feeling those feelings. And like even to this day I'm, I'm kind of like why was I so sad and like you know I still deal with like depression right like to this mm -hmm. day um but I was lucky to have a mom who introduced me to therapy really really young um and because my mom also has her you know issues with with mental health mm -hmm. and uh so she recognized it in me and she knew that I have to do something about this now while she's young and I don't know just like I I think through those conversations, because I, I went to therapy also with my mom and having discussions with her. And then one day, out of the blue, like Victoria Santa Cruz came to my mother's mind and the, the poem, Migritaro Negra, and how like, and I remember hearing it as a little girl and being like, oh my God, there's someone who like understands what I feel. Mm -hmm. And like, not only does she understand what I feel. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> She wants me to know that I am powerful. Yeah. And that I am worthy. Yeah. And that I can ignite change. And she does it through storytelling. And through and, through, and, and just hearing the sound of the cajon and knowing that this is an instrument that was created by Afro-Peruvians, you know, or Maybe Africans who came to Peru, I'm willing, yeah. but 
knew that they are part of this community now and through their magic was able to create something that was could be connected to the culture that now they have been forced to be a part of. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so, yeah, she, she, she saved my life because I think without that poem, like there have been so many moments where I had to like go back and just to listen to her voice to just remind me like the, the kind of like that don't give up thing, like that keep the keep, the keep pushing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and to know that it's in Spanish, you know, that's, that's really, you know, I, it's, it, I don't see Afro-Peruvians a lot, but I know they exist because my entire family looks like them. Yes. When yes. I go through, I walk around, I see them. It's not like they, they don't exist. Yeah. And I have this book called like, called like Radical Latin Women. Um, and like, she's the only black woman in that entire volume of, of women. Mm-hmm. And I think that's mainly because we're not docu- they're not documented. And that's why yeah. I'm very like specific about wanting to document those individuals. But um yeah, that poem is just and it's just it's just it's just so uplifting. Like it's like cause you, you at the beginning of the the poem, it's so like like oh my god, like like this person it's so like it's so real. You can yeah. just see it. You just know that that happened in real life. Yeah, like mm-hmm. just the, like, she's like, I was seven or maybe I was five. It doesn't matter. Just that, I'm like, it feels like a real conversation. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. So, so human. And it's so, it's so important. I'm, I'm so grateful that, that there's some archive of her that we can even find on YouTube, that there's like a video of her doing it. Like, mm-hmm. I, and I'm, I'm excited for your work and all the work that you've already produced like you know it's 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 important it's important yeah thank you Camila I'm not even joking a little bit so take it and I think she's another reason why I went to theater school because she's someone who I think I was reading a lot about her and she went to Paris for a while and and actually study like teatro for for a bit and um like it's someone like she she this is not this is not only is she Afro-Peruvian, but she actually left her country to, you know, give herself permission to, you know, dig deep about the practice that she's doing. But at the same time, she also realizes I don't want to focus on this Eurocentric way of storytelling, even though I went to Europe. I'm coming back to my own country and I'm going to create my own you know theater company and we're going to 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 reimagine you know our history because it has been erased and through like through through movement through through dance through 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 music she was able to kind of create this folklore for us you know and mm-hmm. a lot of people try to like say oh well, it's not real because you know she wasn't alive back in the like the old time she, she's like well no screw that like I'm gonna create what 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 should have been preserved and, and I'm going to amplify this voice and 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 you know and I I think like like I, I have so much respect and love like deep love for her um mm. and you know I think she's someone that like deserves so much but you know she's not here with us anymore you know mm-hmm. but she was like she she was alive like not too long ago yeah I think she, 2014 we were reading Monica I think yeah so it's so recent yeah. So yeah. 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 I was even, I was reading something the other day that like black and white pictures can fr- trick your mind into thinking that something was so much in the past, but we have a really bad case of cultural amnesia up here in the Americas. 
And we got to <laughs> just always think critically about that because there's, yeah, she, she had a huge influence on just the generation before us, you know? Yeah. And then yeah. to think of like, cause like my mom remembered that poem, but like she never, like, as t- like no one in school or like when she was growing up or growing up in like, you know, growing up in Canada, cause she came to Canada when she was 19. It's like, not that she forgot it, but like it was in the back of her mind, but because it wasn't in like in front of her, like it was just like being pushed back. And then she sees her daughter having this, this struggle and realize, oh wait, what's that thing that like was so powerful that made me feel better? Let me introduce this to my daughter. Like, and that's when I know like art can save lives. Like, like I think when, when I, like sometimes I'm like, is that too dramatic? But like, no, like, no. like I could have like I was going through a really dark thing and that took me to a whole other space. Yeah. Yeah. That I don't know, my heart just feels huge right now. I That's know, me so too. <laughs> no, yeah, I I I understood that. I mean my cut this story, but I was like, I have that with Chabela Vargas. But she used to sing rancheras and boleros in like in a really predominant like man space. And she was such a such a lesbian. <laughs> like it was this thing of like, I was like, oh, my hero. Like here she is. I love it. And I think uh, I now I'm gonna bring it back. But it's like talking about how your mom. Uh, I, I was looking at the video sentence of you singing, and then I love that at the end the credits said camera work, my mom. <laughs> it gave me so much joy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. She- <laughs> <laughs> she's there she's she's out there helping you it's awesome yeah like I've been like really blessed because like my mom was someone who's like very much was like you're gonna be a lawyer gonna be a teacher one day or like you're gonna be like she she was so set like so sure that I was gonna be one of those 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 things yeah and I think I'm lean towards educator because like I'm starting to feel like a like a passion for that but but the thing with my mom it's like she's always supported me um and uh she's actually kind of I feel like the subject of a lot of what I create because I think a lot of my art comes from my own personal experiences and my own like uh like the struggles that I deal with Mm -hmm. trying to you know grapple with it yeah she's just like my biggest muse and it's just I'm very blessed to have her wanting to support me because you know it's interesting you bringing up you know being you know like finding this, uh, this, uh, you know, Mexican, lesbian, you know, entering this, this male dominated space. And, and it's something that like, what I've been blessed with my mom is like, cause I think she always knew that I was queer when I was growing up. And she would always be like, you know, if you're gay, like I, I'll always love you. Like I, cause you know, growing up in Latino, like Latinx communities, like one, you're black, and uh, like there's so much racism going on, and it's so weird when you're like the one black person in these people's lives, and they'll mm-hmm. say racist things around you, and then you know you dress masculine, and then you know then they say things like, oh, you know, you better be careful, like she might be you know, not straight, and then my mom, she chooses to love like even those people like she knows how ignorant they are even she like even understands her own like biases of you know growing up in Peru yeah you know because uh 
you know, not only is there racism, but there's homophobia. Mm-hmm. But she, you know, she tells me the story. Sorry, kind of going off topic about yeah. my grandmother. Um, one day they were walking with, like, when my mom was little, my grandmother was walking with my mom, and then this uh, a trans woman came up to her, uh, and she was, uh, uh, I don't know if she was, like, singing or, or making a lot of noise, but my grandma noticed that she was drunk. And so my grandmother, like, started to take my mom to go to the other direction. And then the trans woman, you know, confronted my grandmother and was like, you're only doing this because I'm a trans woman. How dare you? And and then after, my grandmother said, no, it's because you're drunk and I don't want my daughter to see that. Mm -hmm. And I think when I think about that, it's like, oh, I think my grandmother would love me too. I think she would. Because, you know, yeah, it's so scary to come out, you know, and to have a mom who not only accepts you for being not, you know, an artist, you know, like I'm not pursuing the Canadian dream, American dream, but also accepts me for uh, being different in all sorts of different ways. But it's not different because the thing is, it's like people don't come out being straight. I know like that's not a thing like it's not it'll never be it well yeah it'll never be a thing but uh I just feel her support in all avenues of my life and so you know and she's my muse and she'll she's like at the center of everything every like my favorite character I'm like that's my mom and I'm sure other people might not see the connection but I know deep inside like like love is what raised me and that's what influences the things that I create so, uh, yeah, a kind of like a weird go around of what I was trying to say, because I think I'm still trying to unpack it for myself. Yeah, of course. Yeah. yeah. But, uh, yeah, I'm, yeah, she's the camera, like in my black girl search of God, she does a lot of, she's like an assistant credit, like, uh, does she like, like helping you with your projects or yeah, I think so. Cause <laughs> I think my mom's an artist on the inside too. Like she helped me make this blanket. Like it's up there and uh, like, like she's like, she's like, you pick all the colors, but you know, cause I'm not good with colors, you're good with colors. But then I'll, I'll order and she's like, have opinion about how the order should go. And so, or like if I'm like, she recorded me singing a song and uh, she, yeah, she, oh wait, that was what we were talking about. Yeah, yeah. She heard me singing and, and she, like, she, she was like directing me a little bit. No, look over there, like this is like, think about this and, um. And, you know, I think in a lot of us, like in our, in our, in our bodies, like, I think, I almost think almost every single person is an artist, like in our own different ways. Um, but she wasn't given the freedom to explore that part of herself where I was because I was born here in Canada. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I think in a lot of ways, she kind of explores that part of herself through me and with me. I, I love what you're saying. I'm not out to my parents. So it's like, but I did, because my dad is a, a, a freaky man uh, in a lot of ways uh, with a lot of stuff. He's a really sad, macho Mexican, Mexican man. Like, But I, when I moved here and I started doing all my lesbian short films, uh, I credit him as an executive producer from all of them. <laughs> Why? Because he paid for them. He goes, oh. doesn't know. Yes. And I always think it's like this weird joke that I made to myself. Like, he is supporting me. He doesn't know how. But he does like 
gay people in my story. I, I don't know. You both are really making me think like the definition of high art and like good art. When we talk about the pinnacle of high art here, it's like, it's like Juilliard. It's like, yeah, Shakespeare. It's these structures that um, are so separate from us and our reality and things that I know that things I find really beautiful in my life is like, yeah, people and my lived experience. And like, what is our folk stories, like our folklore that we create for ourselves? Mm. We're losing like our, our, like when I think of Victoria Santa Cruz, like gone, like, well, who's, where, how are we going to continue that for the future? Cause like, you know, Toni Morrison's gone, James Baldwin is gone. Like, like I think about that a lot about like us creating the next, you know, mm-hmm. wave, I guess, of, mm-hmm. of, of, of what it means to be us in, in, in this period of time. Yeah. We, we are part of their legacy. And I feel like it's um, like whatever we create, it will always be connected to the past, but like it's, it's, it's focused on, on giving, like nourishing the future. Yeah. And so that's, that's something like, that's a big thing that I've been thinking about lately. So it's cool that you brought that up. Like a big, like a show that I really loved that I saw last year was, uh, I have it, like the ticket somewhere because I saved it because I loved it so much. But uh, Agosto? Agosto Bader? Oh, Chicho. Chicho, yes, Chicho. Oh my God. I I was watching, I'm just laughing. I'm dying of laughter the entire time. Like I just, I, I, like, I I understood everything that, you know, he was talking about. And then I, I, I think about when I'm in theater school and, and sometimes my teachers are kind of like, you're being too loud right now. You're laughing too loud. And then I'm like, what? And like, okay. And so, but then when I'm in a space, you know, where it's not, it's Latinx, it's, it's queer, there's avocados, you know, and I can just laugh as loud as I can. And then he'll, he'll look at me and like acknowledge me in the space. And then I feel so like that's love to me right there, like as an audience member, because I think the audience is also part of the show. But then yeah. sometimes that I feel like in Eurocentric spaces, at Stratford stages, uh, in uh, those places, like you have to be very quiet as an audience member. You have to be very still. You have to not react to whatever's going on. But, you know, I come from a culture where everyone's very loud. Everyone's joking on top of each other. Everyone's dancing really close and, it's 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 a different energy um so yeah sometimes you know like cultures i guess clash but i don't think we have to disrespect you know each other's way of absorbing um art but mm. uh i think when i think of chicho the show chicho i'm like that's something that's like i hold close to my heart and i like i hope one day you know more and more and more people get to witness that more people who come from backgrounds like mine because you know I feel like shows like that are kind of created for us but yeah yeah, it's yeah it's like it's I feel him speaking to me totally I'm speaking to me not necessarily um to just like a, a white audience where I'm supposed to try to insert my background into this like reality that I actually don't fit in because if I was alive during this time I would be a slave, right? So, but then I have to reimagine and that also gives me power in a different way. So just to make sure we talk about all the beautiful projects you have going on right now. um, One of them is a photo project called X, 
And I feel like that ties into what we're talking about right now. So how did this project come to be and what are you exploring in this photo project? So how it came to be was uh, my friend Alexia was uh, looking for artists for this, uh, I don't know what it was, I don't know if it was originally called Raices. I think we actually named it Raices, like the project in the end, but it was like bringing artists from different parts of Latin America, like backgrounds Latin America, but are Canadian um, to come together and to create this like group exhibition. And the idea that I came up with was that I wanted to photograph people who were part of this community, but felt like they were other. And so um, the title X actually came after I had my talk with you, Camila. And like, I remember the, the, when I was interviewing you, because the important thing for this project for me was I actually wanted to sit down with the people that I was photographing because I didn't want to just take the picture and be like, this person feels other. Like I actually wanted to understand what was their journey? What, why did they feel that way? Um, and then by after, by the end of the conversation, because we had this conversation, we actually felt connected. So like, I feel like the otherness kind of went away, not completely, but like, it was like, oh, we're building this community by just sitting with each other. Um, and we may not look the same, you know, we have very distinct, different experiences, but we're part of this Latinx community. And the big thing for me with my conversation with you, Camila, was like, I was like, what does Latinx mean to you? And you said, um, I love that word because in the X, you can kind of put whatever you want in it because X marks the spot. And I was like, oh, yeah, the power is in the X. You can put whatever you want in there and no one can, you know, take that away from you. And so I just wanted to name the, the Project X. And at the exhibition, I featured like um, Afro-Latinx mothers. Um, but they're, uh, one was my mom, one was Sylvia Argentina, and then the other one was Isabel. And they all come from like different backgrounds. They are all fighting like different ways and moving through, this, through, their, through the world. Um, but they were all so powerful and the way that they're each like looking directly into the camera like you can avoid that this person exists and it's an ongoing project that i like i believe in my soul like that's something that i want to do for the rest of my life i want to sit with people and it's kind of hard through like COVID to think about how i will like maintain that but uh even sitting here with you guys i feel so much more connected to the both of you um so I'm so 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 happy we got to talk today and yeah too. yeah um yeah firstly I'm like so honored that that was something that resonated with you so much because you you took that and you heard that in a way that you you created that art you know so I'm just really honored to be a part of that um and I think at Aluna uh internally we're talking a lot about the word Latinx because it's it's not like a perfect word you know, because we got Latin in front of it. It's like, what's that about? <laughs> so, but I actually just hearing you say that makes me think just the X is my favorite part. So maybe I'm just an X. Maybe I'm not Latin X. I'm just X, you know? Or it can be Equis. Equis! <laughs> like, people are yeah. like, that's an English letter. <laughs> yeah! Okay. Equis. All right. Workshopping it. Workshopping it. That's so awesome. Okay, and for listeners, you can check out some of the images of this project uh, at an Instagram profile that EC set up. The links will be in the show notes, so please go take a look at it. 
Monica, do you want to ask the last one? We were asking our previous guest to ask the questions for our next guest. Um, this is a long, long question <laughs> by Jose Torres Tama. Uh, they, uh, he is an Ecuadorian American poet based in New Orleans. What are you going to do to continue our radical revolutionary theatrical perspective to be sure our voices are heard on all the stages, wherever you may be in your particular country? And what are you going to do in terms of making sure that you are not erased within that patriarchal power structure of the Anglo-Saxon Aryan Christian male narrative? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's a boss question. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> He's a cool guy. Because mm. I'm so young, it's like, how do I be, rad like, am I radical? And I think about artists like uh, Lido Pimienta mm -hmm. a lot. So, um, and how similar to Princess Nokia, she brings, you know, you know, trans and women, non-binary people of color towards the fronts of her shows when she's performing. And also she has this thing, I, I listened to her talk once and she talked about how like your art has to be political in order for it to actually, you know, say something because we're in very, you know, political times. And so when I think for myself, how I want to implement being, you know, radical and, and making sure that people from my community are, their voices are, are being heard is being kind of like, like Michelon Rodriguez and making sure that when I have opportunities to give space, I'm gonna prioritize those individuals and to make sure that even though I'm bringing them into these spaces that are, you know, could be scary and very big and institutional, I want to make sure that I'm, I'm giving them the tools to handle that space. I'm not just bringing them in using their story and then maybe them feeling like no one took care of them because there's, there's specific individuals within our industry that I feel really focused on that. Like I remember seeing a show with um, with uh, Celia Green at her show at, at, at Summerworks. I can't, believe, I can't remember show's names. It was, such oh, a good... was it a solo show? It was a solo show. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Is it Wawa? No. Wawa. Wa. Wa, yeah. Wa, wa. yeah. And 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 uh, Donna Michelle Saint Bernard was watching those at the same show, and I remember at the end, like after the talkback, I was crying, crying, and then Donna Michelle Saint Bernard took me to a. Chinese restaurant where we sat and we ate and we talked and um, like that's that to me is radical like taking the time to see the people in your community who may be feeling vulnerable um, you know who, who who might need some guidance or, or just mainly just support support one another I think that's the the radical radical thing is, is choosing to to be that support and to be that 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 mentor to be that that space that safe space for somebody when the world can feel so overwhelming around them i think a big like to make sure that i'm not erased mm -hmm. just i think just stay standing in my truth because i think like the most powerful thing when i think about even victoria santa cruz and how like the powerful thing about her that poem was that she was telling her story and standing in that 100% um i think for me as an artist like like not a lot of people actually know that I'm, I'm queer, for example. And um, like a lot of my work actually doesn't even grapple with that part of myself. And I think once I own all of those parts of myself and through everything that I do, I think um, not only will my voice be more clear, but I, it's, 
like less chance of it being interrupted. And even if it is interrupted, um, I, I just, I, I won't stand for it to be, you know, walked over because, um, a big thing that I, I think I did this year as a, being a student of theater school, um, is I called out my school on a, on their anti-blackness. And that wasn't just the, you know, like the blog post that I made, which was kind of speaking more about my journey of good, go, like playing a character. Uh, you know, I, mm-hmm. I feel like there, there was a, a moment, um, when it was February when my, my friend Kalali and I, who's the, was the only, is a black playwright at NTS, but she recently graduated and we stepped, stand in, stood in front of the school and like, you know, not, a, we didn't have a list of demands because I think institutions are very afraid of that sort of thing, but we were very much like, you need to check yourself because your black students need support. Like, like just so that you can ignore the fact that there is a problem, but unfortunately, you don't see steps towards actually fixing that until a black man had to die. Mm-hmm. But I think as an artist, I'm, I'm proud to say that like, I didn't like, I didn't have to wait for someone to die to speak up about those things. And I'm happy that the world's being like lit on fire kind of right now, kind mm-hmm. of like, you know, Mary Joseph Angelique lighting up, you know, old Montreal, burning it to the ground. It's kind of like, uh, even though we don't actually know if she did that or not. You know, some people love to believe that she did. Some people hate that, you know, she was accused for something that we don't even know if she did or not. But mm-hmm. um, I think the, like, burning, burning buildings down. Like, I, you, you think about in, in, in uh, Minneapolis, you know, they burned down the the police station, right? There was a police station. Like, it's like, it's, it's, it's that theme of, of fire and, like, not, and, like, keeping that flame going constantly. Um, and being able to speak up to those in power. And I'm not saying to, you know, you know, it's not about doing it in a violent way. I'm saying fire is just, it's uh, that fire within you because you're the only one who can keep it going because other people are going to constantly try to, you know, wash it out with fire, but you, you know the truth for yourself. You know your story. You know how you're being treated. You know... Sometimes you don't even know what you need to support yourself, but you can call out when some when the, when BS is happening. So, um, I think that's the way to maintain my 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 voice mm-hmm. and making sure that like that won't be erased because I always speak up for myself in whichever space that I occupy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's a pretty boss answer. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> This podcast is recorded in Toronto, or Dogarondo, the territory of the Anishinaabe Nation, the Wendat Nation, the Haudenosaunee Confederacy, and nations recorded and unrecorded. We are deeply thankful to these nations for stewarding the land so that we might live in peace and respect for each other. As it is outlined in the Dish with One Spoon Wampup, that all people who live here, settlers, indigenous folks, and others, must adhere to. Radio Luna Teatro is produced by Aluna Theater with the support from the Metcalf Foundation, the Late Law Foundation, the Canada Council for the Arts, the Ontario Arts Council, and the Toronto Arts Council. Radio Luna Teatro is produced by Aluna Theater with the support from the Metcalf Foundation, the Late Law Foundation, the Canada Council for the Arts, 
the Ontario Arts Council and the Toronto Arts Council. Aluna Theatre is Beatriz Pisano and Trevor Schwellness, with Sue Ballant and Gia Namens. Radio Aluna Theatre is produced by Camila Diaz Varela and Monica Garrido. For more about Aluna Theatre, visit us at alunatheatre.ca, follow at Aluna Theatre on Twitter or Instagram, or like us on Facebook. Follow and subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or wherever else you get your podcasts.